All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Simply Bitcoin IRL. Uh, I'm very excited for today's show. Uh, we have the privilege of having one of my favorite Bitcoiners. His takes are fascinating. They're great. Um, and I really enjoy them. Uh, and I'm talking, of course, about the, the legendary beauty on. Uh, before, before I get to that, I have to give a shout out to the Bitcoin company that helps make the show possible. They pay the bills. So on Bitcoin.com is the best place to buy Bitcoiners. I mean, to buy Bitcoin, buy Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. They incentivize dollar cost averaging and they also incentivize uh, self-custody. So if you haven't already done so, go check out SwanBitcoin.com today. All right. That being said, I, uh, I want to bring uh, Beauty on on stage. How you doing, man? I'm doing very well, Nico. Thanks for having me again. Happy to have you. Um, so last time you came on the regular show, it was a fan favorite and people were absolutely getting their mind blown. And now that we have a full hour without any commercial breaks in between, <laughs> I want to take advantage of this time to just explore, further elaborate or talk about some of the topics that we were talking about previously. So I'm going to start off with just a very basic question, Beauty On, and I know that we've talked tremendously about this in public, in, in private, and I think we mentioned it a little bit uh, last time you came on Simply Bitcoin Live, um, but it's just, is Bitcoin winning inevitable in your eyes? Yes, it is. I think it is inevitable in the same way that email as a system of moving messages around uh, was inevitable. It has first mover advantage. It has a tremendous amount of momentum. And if the state would get out of the way, the acceleration towards total domination of Bitcoin would be uh, coming much faster. But it is going to happen without, without a shadow of doubt. Awesome. So you mentioned you mentioned something, right, which was the state getting out of the way. Um, clearly, Bitcoin is a threat to the 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 state's root of power right which is having the ability the ability the power and privilege to create money for free that the rest of us serfs and peasants have to work for basically and we know that their last gasp right their last uh gasp at maintaining that privilege is you know the central bank digital currencies so well first first of all the um that's that's not strictly speaking that's not true the root of the power of the state is the monopoly on violence that's the root power it doesn't really matter if the money is bitcoin or not they have a monopoly on violence and they can force you to pay a hundred percent of your earnings in bitcoin uh to them so the power to print money is not their power it's the the ability to execute violence against people. So whether Bitcoin is the money or not, they will retain this power. What it will do is put a constraint on their spending if everyone refuses to use their funny money. That's the true power of Bitcoin. It doesn't solve the, pro the, the problem of the, the power of the, the state and their monopoly on violence. So is that is that problem even solvable or is that problem not necessarily a problem? It's just that right now the incentives are perhaps you can make an argument are misaligned because the state has a monopoly on the issuance of money. Right. And that kind of misaligns the incentives 
between the citizens and the state, right? So do you believe that if it, go ahead. Well, what it does is it gives the state the ability to pay an, uh, an almost unlimited number of uh, troops to go out and steal money from people. Troops, mechanisms, like those uh, those 86,000 IRS agents, they wouldn't be able to pay for that kind of thing if they had only Bitcoin as the money because it'll put a constraint on the amount of people they can put into the field to harass people. Now, that it doesn't mean that they won't be able to, to collect taxes, but what it will do is it will make them pay attention to things like the Laffer curve, where if the rate of taxation is set correctly, no one will object to paying taxes. And in fact, the amount of uh, revenue that the state makes goes up. So this is a proven fact. So this won't necessarily destroy the state or uh, completely um, stop it from being able to harass people. What it will do is it'll make them be reasonable. It'll persuade them to be reasonable. And in fact, it'll be better for them because they will gain uh, more revenues. They'll attract more revenues because people won't be bothered to try and quote unquote cheat, even though they're not cheating. Yeah. And so, and what, and so, and this is actually a really interesting topic, right? The, do you think that it was a coincidence that when the central bank of the United States was introduced right in 1913 was also the same year that they introduced the federal income tax? Do you think that's a coincidence? And do, what are your what are your thoughts about this progressive tax system that we have today? Because I fundamentally agree with you. It's almost as if the most successful and productive people in society are being punished for their productivity? Uh, I don't think punished is the correct word. They're, they're, um, they're having more of their money stolen from them. And as whether or not it was a uh, coincidence or not, it's highly unlikely that it was a coincidence. These things cannot be a coincidence. The left hand knows what the right hand is doing uh, and when we get gets to that level. And so those two things were probably cooked up at the same time. And uh, that's why they emerged at the same time. The system is fundamentally corrupt. I think it was Andrew Jackson's last words where I killed the bank. So fundamental a problem that this is and so uh, terribly important that it was his last word. So uh, in absentia of anybody other than Ron Paul who sees it as a problem, some other system that doesn't need to be explained to the people needs to be put in place that will cause the effect of the fiat dollar being destroyed by dint of its existence. And this is exactly what Bitcoin was designed to do. And what it does is harnesses people's uh, need for efficiency and transparency and uh, ease of use and all that business. And then the side effect is the uh, elimination of fear because the vast majority of people, even ones that uh, <laughs> claim to be educated, don't know about the nature of money. And in fact, many of the Bitcoiners you, you um, read about today didn't know that there was even a problem with uh, the money until Bitcoin came along and showed them that there was a problem with it. And then they learned about the Austrian school, which they'd never heard of. And then all of a sudden, uh, the, the fundamental underpinning of their ideas about money was removed and they became hardcore Bitcoiners because they've been lied to and nobody likes to be lied to. So that's the, 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 the true, uh, well, that's my opinion about what happened with the uh, introduction of the Federal Reserve and the, the federal income tax that it happened at the same time by design with the small cabal of people 
who effectively run everything. So in in the very beginning, we were uh, we were talking about you know Bitcoin inevitably winning, and and I kind of want to go back to and I and I completely agree with you. I think you said it perfectly. It's not necessarily that the state's um, power comes from the monopoly on the issuance of money itself, but it comes from the monopoly on violence, right? And the but at the same time, right, the ability for the state have this money printer also allows them, you know, in the, as in the case in the U.S. where Joe Biden basically hired 87,000 more uh, tax collectors or, you know, however, which way you want to see it. Um, clearly, and, uh, and I'm referencing my mind, right, a lot of the theories written in the book, The Sovereign Individual. Um, I think if Bitcoin wins, I think it's a fundamental it's a fundamental power threat to that ability, that privilege. And there's a huge bureaucracy. I, I heard it the other day. I think it was on Tucker um, that the United States government is the number one employer in the world. Right. You have this bureaucracy that's funded by that money printer and Bitcoin is a fundamental threat to that. What I, I you know, I, I hesitate. Sorry to interrupt you. I, I, I hesitate to call it a threat because Really, Bitcoin isn't a threat. Bitcoin is a boon. It's a boon to the federal government. It's a boon to everybody. The efficiency that's going to bring to the market and to the United States will be a net benefit to the United States. And if the, if the United States accepts Bitcoin entrepreneurialism, it will allow those entrepreneurs and businesses to route money through the United States, bringing in a huge windfall of taxes. So even though it might seem on the surface to be adversarial to the United States, it's actually not if the correct attitude is taken from the beginning. And I think that's what needs to be put across. Not that Bitcoin's are dangerous, not that Bitcoin's a threat, that it's actually super useful, super beneficial to the American government if it takes its proper constitutional posture and acts as a public servant. And as for the, uh, the the legions of people being released to uh, uh, extract the the blood of the of the American people, uh, what Bitcoin will do once again is impose a discipline on everyone, the government and non-government as well, so that everybody serves each other. The, the American government, in its original smaller form was a servant of the people, and it can return to being that also. But what it cannot do is print money to create a distorted economy in a distorted country where there is excess money essentially from nowhere to spend on threatening people and other kinds of things which are non-economic, which actually nobody wants except for a small number of lobbyists. So this is the true... Uh, advantage and the true opportunity that Bitcoin brings to the United States. It will restore order, economic order to the United States, restore a government that is the servant of the people, not the master of the people. And I think that's a very reasonable goal to go for. It's not going to hurt the United States. On the contrary, it's going to be a huge advantage to the United States because it's one of the few countries that has uh, the, the wherewithal and the uh, get up and go to do things like flying to the moon. So I think America, if it embraces Bitcoin, is going to see uh, an economic boom, the likes of which has never been seen on earth. 
And this is why they absolutely must do that. Also, to stop Americans from going to other jurisdictions to bring that Bitcoin magic to those jurisdictions. And as you know, El Salvador is now the number one country on earth for Bitcoin in terms of how they're approaching it and their plans for the future. And it's very easy to see a couple of steps into the future where all the entrepreneurs that are in Bitcoin, which is going to be the global money, are all situated in El Salvador, in San Salvador, the capital. So um, for Americans, this is not a an ideal situation, but it absolutely is going to happen. And during my trip to El Salvador, I met people from Denmark, from Sweden, from the United States, all living, recently moved to El Salvador because of what's happening there with Bitcoin. So uh, that's a very, very big deal. And it's uh, something people should be paying attention to because um, they're going to win. And of course, I don't have a problem with them winning. The, the good guys have to win. And if these guys are the good guys, then they're going to win. It's as simple as that. Should America, am I rooting for America? Well, yes, I am rooting for America. But if they, ref if they refuse to be the good guys, if they insist on doubling down on, the, on being the bad guys, well, then the money's going to go to the place where it needs to be. Yeah. And so, and, and that's another thing that I, I kind of riff on. Uh, I want to riff on um, beauty on because like, unfortunately the way from the way that I'm seeing it and I'm in this weird, you know, you can call it privilege because I, you know, I, I, I make money having to talk about Bitcoin or at least cover what is happening about Bitcoin every single day. And because of that privileged position, I, I'm seeing the slow motion pushback by the administrative state in the United States. And I, I fundamentally believe that this administrative state has captured the American people in a way, right? We, we, have, we have gone so far away from the original vision of, you know, small government in the United States. The Constitution, it was, it was so well written that it still keeps them somewhat in check, but still, man, there it's like every single day they just take another chip at it. And what hurts me and what, what, what doesn't make me so optimistic on a developed country like the U.S. is um, their recent moves specifically by the U.S. Treasury Office of Foreign Asset Control to kind of set a precedent and, sense, and censor open source software. Right. They, they did that. And I think that was sending a clear message. And the reason that I believe they did that is because Bitcoin is a threat to U.S. sanction policy. And because the, the, the U.S. is the, the global reserve currency. Right. It's able the to US dollars. the U.S. dollar. I apologize. Exactly. The U.S. dollar is the global reserve currency. Um, it's able to weaponize the dollar. And that gives the bureaucratic state, the administrative state, tremendous amount of power in D.C., so I, I, I have trouble seeing them willingly give up that type of power. And that's kind of where I'm hung up on. Well, I, I think if you're going to be hung up on something, you need to, to hang the phone up for real. Because uh, we need to, to look at history uh, beyond the last 10 years. That's very important. During the era of the Soviet Union, it was assumed by everybody that this situation would never change. There would always be a USSR. It would always be 
an enemy of the United States. And then one day everybody woke up and the USSR was just gone. So this can happen in your lifetime. It can happen that the dollar ceases to be the global reserve currency of the world. And it's very easy to imagine this happening because if BRICS and all of the Central America and South America and the states on the West Coast of Africa all decide to settle on Bitcoin, then all of a sudden you have at the very minimum a multipolar currency world where the dollar isn't the center of it anymore. And we must also remember, this is a matter of numbers. There's 330 million Americans and 7 billion people on earth. If those 7 billion people excluding all the Americans, are using Bitcoin, this is orders of magnitude bigger than the United States. And so it, all of the things you're citing are important to you because you're an American living where you live, and that's they're germane to you. They pertain to you. But other people who live in other countries don't know anything about OFAC or anything else. And those uh, those three-letter, four-letter agencies don't have jurisdiction outside of the United States. So not only do people not know who they are or what they do, but they don't care if they find out because they don't have jurisdiction in countries like El Salvador and Nigeria and all these other places. So it's very important when we talk about a global network like the Internet and like the Bitcoin network to look at it from the position of a global citizen, well, not a global citizen, but somebody who's not from one particular country. America is only one country out of many countries. It's one jurisdiction. They're, they're sealed inside their jurisdiction, and so are the agencies that work there. And they cannot stop El Salvador, for example, from making Bitcoin legal tender, or Saudi Arabia, or Nigeria, or Brazil, or any of these other countries. And if enough of these countries do that, and of course they're incentivized to do it, then the magic of Bitcoin will happen. So it's very important not to look at Bitcoin through uh, the kitchen roll tube at just one thing. It's a global phenomenon. It's a global network. Literally anyone, anywhere can join it and use it. And if that's true, which of course it is, it means that no single country can dominate it and exert control over the users. So the United States has a sanction regime. Well, they're entitled to do that, it's a sovereign country, but nobody else on earth has to follow it. And I think this is very important to understand. America is a great country, but it's not the, the boss of the world. And once people stop using the dollar, then that's gonna become even more true than it is now. So when we talk about Bitcoin, it's important to understand what jurisdiction means, to understand how many people are there, how many people are outside the United States, and what that actually means in terms of Bitcoin adoption and the result of Bitcoin adoption. So, and I agree, right? And I think jurisdictional arbitrage is going to play a key role. Um, and even for American citizens, if they go down this dark path, right, you know, you're going to be able to, Bitcoin gives you the power to not only vote with your wallet, but also your feet, right? I've, I've heard amazing stories of Venezuelans escaping Venezuela, fleeing to, you know, Spain, for example, and the only thing that they were able to take with them was their Bitcoin, 
because they were able to take their seed with them. So I agree. I think judicial arbitrage is going to play a major role. But so perhaps the official three letter agencies, you know, are somewhat confined. But what the U.S. has been using really since early late early 50s, late 40s, has been using they've been using the the guise of these international organizations like for example the United Nations the World Bank the IMF and what was really striking to me was the fact that the IMF when they bailed out Argentina once again one of the stipulations was you must stop you know that you must de-incentivize the adoption of bitcoin within their within your country in order to receive that bailout so perhaps there isn't direct um, direct influence with the United States, but look, where's the IMF headquartered? Washington, D.C. That's not yes, a cool Yes, but once again, thing, let's, right? let's, you've got to think about this very, very carefully. It's easy to go down the route of believing that the American government is omnipotent, and it absolutely is not. Even in the, in the context of the United Nations, which you mentioned, the Security Council doesn't always go the way that the American government wanted to go. Uh, so the uh, it's not an impenetrable uh, uh, an impenetrable fortress where only what America wants is the result, and you must remember also that Bitcoin isn't about these big institutions, whether it's the UN or the OFAC or anything else like that. It's about individuals using Bitcoin, and we need to look at software piracy as an analog to. Uh, to how Bitcoin can spread throughout the uh, economy. Software piracy, they've been trying to stop it for over 20 years, and they've absolutely failed to do it. And there are no huge organizations doing the software piracy distribution. It's all done peer-to-peer by individuals, and it's never stopped. And it's a huge, absolutely huge um, economy, if you want to give it a word like that, uh, globally. So it's very important to think about what it is exactly we're dealing with, which is a, a computer network that anybody can join, literally anybody can join, and which is not restricted to, geographically. So uh, people can beat their chests all they like. They can't stop piracy. They can't stop Bitcoin. And in the end, they will have, the only choice they'll have is to come along with something that's better than uh, Bitcoin. And in the case of software piracy, no software piracy, movie piracy, it's the Apple ecosystem where uh, it's very, very inexpensive to buy a, a song on uh, iTunes now because it, they, they price it like a 99 cents or whatever it is. And so in an economy like that, it makes much more sense to just pay 99 cents to get this uh, music file rather than to hunt all over and get torrents of things and like that. It's just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hassle. But when music was first digitized, the music companies tried to charge the same money that they were charging for CDs and albums, but only digitally. It was only much later that Apple cracked the code, as it were, and realized that you have to charge only pennies for a track in order to get everybody to download and not pirate music. And that's when the floodgates opened, and that's how iTunes became such a huge phenomenon, and Spotify and all those other things. And of course, the artists have been complaining that they're not getting enough money. But uh, you know, in the in when the uh, the refrigerator placed the Iceman, the Iceman lost, and now these recording artists are quote unquote losing, uh, even though they're gaining super distribution. So this is the way you need to think about Bitcoin. 
and to not put it in the, uh, not think only about the negative things that can happen, but to think about the history of software, the, the history of software distribution and how it can be done peer to peer without a company and reach the entire world. Only now it's not talking about wares or movies, we're talking about money, synthetic money that is. And so the same forces that spread wares all over the world every day, like right now there's the World Cups, uh, World Cups on. There are many, many pirated streams all over the internet. They're very, very easy to find. So the same thing's going to happen with Bitcoin and it can't be stopped. That's the way to think about it. And we should be thinking about what tools and services we need to build and deploy to make this magic happen. And for example, on uh, Ubuntu, there's a thing called, there's a, there's a tool called transmission, which people use for torrenting. That's installed with every copy of Ubuntu. And every copy of Ubuntu should come with a Bitcoin wallet. That's the kind of thing we need to be thinking about and talking about, not about these threats from the minority government of the world that can't actually stop not only the software piracy, but Bitcoin. They can't stop it. They can make a lot of noise, uh, write bills like the Loomis Gilliard bill and try to uh, you know frighten everybody, but it's not going to work. It didn't work to stop software piracy, it's not going to work to stop Bitcoin because Bitcoin is too good to be stopped. Once everybody gets a taste of it, they'll never go back to fiat tools ever again. And this is happening. And you can see this happening in places like Lebanon where Bitcoin is starting to grow exponentially because their system is collapsing there. So it's, it's a good idea to keep your eye on the, the facts of this, this problem, which is how to get Bitcoin into the hands of people. And the American government, once again, to repeat myself, is not omnipotent, is not omniscient either. And they cannot win against everybody on earth. Yeah, no, and, and I agree. And uh, so, and, and I agree that the analogy, this is a great analogy, the analogy about software privacy, you know, was LimeWire. They, they tried everything and this thing wouldn't go away. Um, there was no more metaphorical head to chop off. And I think that's the case with Bitcoin. However, Judeon, you are a big advocate and we've been, based on your advice, of course, we've been, not every episode, but we've been trying to get into the hip, habitual uh, or habit into every time we preach self-custody. Um, Opti's been pretty good at it, at also recommending which wallets to download. Um, a lot of these wallets are mobile wallets, and we know for a fact that, you know, the vast majority of operating systems that people are using on their cell phones is either iOS or Android. And both those app stores are heavily controlled by Apple and by Google, which means that they can and could potentially be co-opted by government, right? Does that worry you at all? Or is this going to be? They, they, yeah. they could be, or they could not be. That's also a possibility. It's very important to understand that the positive outcome is also probable. The question is how probable is it? And it's more probable if there's a billion people using Bitcoin wallets and it's absolutely normalized. When we started uh, as Teco, when I started as Teco back in uh, the uh, 2014-ish, I ran a pop-up store in Goldston Street to test whether or not the uh, the proposition was understandable by the public. And during that test, block, uh, blockchain.info's wallet was removed from the Apple uh, iTunes store, the Apple App Store. And I used to give, I used to point people to that, uh, that app 
in the store to show them a very simple wallet they could use to redeem a, 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 an Azteco voucher on the spot. And of course, when that went away, I didn't have a go-to wallet anymore. This is very early days. And uh, it was very, very frustrating. But that's super unlikely to happen now. And it will be even less likely if there's billions of people all downloading these apps globally. When it's completely normal and it's, uh, it's, it's an ordinary occurrence, uh, it's not going to be seen as a problem. In the same way, Uber is available on the Android, uh, the Android, what was it, Google Play Store, and on the uh, Apple iTunes Store, and this is in the face of massive opposition from taxi companies in many jurisdictions. Nobody can conceive that the Uber app would be removed from either one of these stores because some taxi union. Is wants to, wants to have the monopoly on on taxis restored, so the key here is mass dissemination of wallets. Every single phone, every single operating system should come with a wallet out of the box that you can just turn on, put your seed phrase in, and get your money up and running. And when this happens, the likelihood of the of any of these app stores turning off a wallet or all Bitcoin wallets will be vastly reduced. The way to think about this is to think about what steps we can take to mitigate the possibility that what you just described, which would be a total disaster, what you just described from happening. And uh, that's the way to think about it. If there is some negative possible outcome, it can be ameliorated and worked around before it ever happens if we sit down and think about it first. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I, I, wow. I, I really, and I think Opti wrote this in the chat. I really appreciate beauty optimism. Um, it's definitely a, a, a fresh of, uh, definitely fresh of breath air, whatever that expression is. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, is that how it goes anyways? Yeah, um, breath of fresh air, but they think that breath also, of fresh air. Yeah. Uh, is what I'm saying optimistic or is it just true? Now it's true. The sun, the sun is going to come up tomorrow. Is that me being optimistic or saying something that's just true? No, it's 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 just true. So, but let's talk about which I I you know because we we were for the first 20, 30 minutes we were talking about you know potential nation state attacks you know all these attack vectors. Now let's talk about let's use the the rest of the half hour beauty on as to why Bitcoin winning is inevitable. Why why is this thing going to win? versus anything that they can because the way that i see it of course is they're always going to their money is always they're always going to want to debase it and they're always going to want to censor it and that's just a matter of fact right so exactly. why do you think victory is inevitable why do you think bitcoin's victory is inevitable and then i we'll, we'll talk about what this type of future will look like which I, i'm i'm really looking forward to that part of the conversation okay well uh, it is inevitable that Bitcoin is going to win because it is impossible to to win without launching something that's better than Bitcoin. Now, of course, people who know their history will say, "Well, well, the Macintosh was superior to Windows, and uh, you know, it, uh, Windows won for the the short term, but in the long term, uh, the Apple has won this battle absolutely one hundred percent." So, it's not possible. Given what we've already heard about these CDBC designs by the Kingpin and all these other people, 
that they're going to be come with restrictions out of the box that they're going to be able to control what what you can spend and not spend on in a very fine-grained way nobody with the cdbc app and uh, uh wallet satoshi or samurai wallet next to that app is going to pick the cdbc app they're not going to do it because especially people from the uh, diasporas in the third world who want to send and receive money as they want uh they're not going to accept it and also bitcoin is global out of the box the french will have their own well the eu will have their own cdbc the americans will have their own one the nigerians are even trying to do one which they bought off the shelf from someone's uh, no doubt and all of them are not interoperable whereas Bitcoin is interoperable globally. Everybody can use it to anyone and from anyone on the, in, in the entire world at any amount, also without permission. So you're not going to have the, 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 uh, the situation where you go to buy yourself a secondhand car and the government says, no, you can't buy this car because there's a, a block on your account. There are no accounts in Bitcoin. You can buy whatever you want sell whatever you want, receive whatever you want, any amount you want, and nobody can stop it. So in the face of a compelling uh, sales pitch like that, nobody's going to accept a CDBC. They're not. And every time they try to promote the CDBCs, they're going to be talking about it either directly or tangentially, talking about Bitcoin directly or tangentially. And this will only promote Bitcoin and get people to understand that, wait a minute, there's this other thing called Bitcoin, which is instantaneous, global, and without any restrictions. And if you're, you know, even if you're not careful, nobody really knows what you're doing because nobody knows who is who on Bitcoin. This is an extremely compelling uh, offer that the free market is offering everybody. And uh, it, it, against, when put up against CDBCs, Bitcoin thrashes it like the red-haired stepchild. So I'm really not too worried about CDBCs as long as we can get wallets into everybody's hands and by, by doing so, immunize them against this, this threat. Uh, you know, what astonishes me is that this car stairs kingpin thinks he's selling CDBCs by describing how everybody's money can be controlled. Do you mean to tell me that after the COVID uh, hoax and everything else, people being controlled and uh, told where they can go and where they cannot go, that they're going to want something like that? Um, it's a very interesting uh, <laughs> proposition. And I'd, I'd very much like to see how they're going to promote this to the public. What sort of TV commercials, print ads, and everything else, what sort of language they're going to use, because that's going to be an indication of how um, perhaps Bitcoiners need to talk about and counter this narrative that they're inevitably going to put out. And uh, no amount of advertising can stop Bitcoin, well, counter Bitcoin advertising. And we know this once again from the history of piracy. There were huge ad campaigns against software piracy when it was, uh, uh, when they still believed they could stop it. And none of it worked, absolutely none of it worked. All it did was inform people, hey, wait a minute, do you mean to tell me I can get movies for free on the internet? How does that even work? They go to Google, they find out how it works, and all of a sudden they can get uh, all the American TV shows before they come out anywhere else in the world for nothing. So if they try and advertise against Bitcoin, they'll point people to Bitcoin, they'll be able to get the wallets, 
get a little bit of Bitcoin from you know where, and then all of a sudden they're on the global network. And once you've tasted Bitcoin, you will never go back to CDBC. It's not possible. When you download a Bitcoin wallet, one that's properly written, by the way, you don't have to sign up. You don't have to give your name. You don't have to give your email address. It just starts working immediately. And when you're next sitting next to somebody and said, well, just get all Satoshi, I'll send you $10. You can just boop, send that $10 like that. And the CDBC will not work like that. If you've got a Nigerian sitting next to a Canadian and both of them have a CDBC from the respective countries, they won't be able to send Naira to somebody who has a Canadian dollar CDBC wallet. It won't work like that. Whereas Bitcoin will work like that. And that is another thing that will Bitcoin will do to bring people from different parts of the world together on this one network where everybody's the same, everybody has the same rights. It's not Canadians versus Nigerians, not Americans versus uh, Ghanaians. Everybody's on the same network. Everybody has the same rights. And this is good for uh, humanity as a thing and shows how CDBCs separate people in the same way that the, the passports, nation states and everything separate people and pit them against each other. So Bitcoin is good for society. Bitcoin is good for mankind. And that's why it should be adopted in on top of everything else. Absolutely. And that, that was that was that was beautiful. Um, but you, you mentioned something in there that that was quite interesting, right? You said if we can get wallets into people's hands and my interpretation of that beauty on is this sounds like to me we this is a race for adoption we we need we need bitcoin to be adopted by individuals and I, and i've tweeted this out right i'm more optimistic on developing countries because they're adopting bitcoin out of necessity versus individuals in developed countries that perhaps they're adopting bitcoin for more speculative reasons um, rather than, you know, I have to look if I'm in Venezuela, if I'm in Argentina and I have double digit inflation, it's about whether I could put food on the table, you know, and that's a whole different. And then at that point, whatever propaganda the government releases, it's like, you're not going to listen to the guy on TV when, when there's double digit inflation, right? Well, you're, let's, let's yeah. think about this. Do you, do you know how many unbanked people there are in the United States? I have no idea what percentage. Yeah, it's 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 uh, over a million people. Over a million people uh, in the United States are unbanked. It's definitely over a million people in Britain that are unbanked. And even when you take the people who are banked, uh, who want to send and receive money abroad, they have to pay through the nose to do it. So people in the West have this idea that uh, Westerners, because they're so uh, quote unquote privileged and they have access to all kinds of financial rails. Actually, the rails they have access to are rusty. They're rusty, they're slow, they're invasive, and they're not very good at all. Bitcoin is a clean, shiny, uh, iridescent financial rail that spans the entire world, and it's much better than all the tools that you have in the West. And so if we just take the, the unbanked people uh, and the underbanked people in the West and get them all onto Bitcoin, this is going to be a great boon for them, a great help for them. And so this idea that Westerners don't have the same need 
for Bitcoin, like the Venezuelans, which is a country people keep bringing up over and over and over again. This is actually not true. The need for mm. Bitcoin is just as strong in the so-called privileged West as it is in Venezuela, because the money of the American is being inflated away, just like the money in Venezuela, in Nigeria, and all these other places. Now, the the statutory, I think that's the correct word, rate of inflation in these Western countries is meant to be 2%. But we know it's much, much more than that. And that money is being stolen from the American people, the British people, Nigerian people, just as it's being stolen from the Venezuelan people, only in their case, it's more visible because the hyperinflation is um, at an accelerated rate. But it's theft nonetheless. And so Westerners have the same right to protect themselves from theft as anybody else does. And that's what they should be using Bitcoin to do, to stop their money being stolen behind their backs. So you do get people who use Bitcoin for speculation. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's when in the free market, people are going to use things for all kinds of different reasons. But the general, uh, the general population of all of these countries needs Bitcoin to have their right to keep their money uh, preserved so that they don't get their money stolen from them behind their backs. And of course, most of these people don't even know it's happening because they don't know what fiat money is. They haven't read any Rothbard. They don't know anything about how fiat money works. They just think that's the way it is. But when Bitcoin is put into their hands, the power of uh, money that's not being inflated away is theirs by default. And the effects of that will be felt by them as it becomes the default money of, of the West. And so we need to not think too much about the uh, privileged use cases. I hate using that word, but that the privileged use cases and that Westerners only use uh, Bitcoin for speculation. It's not true. They need protection just like everybody else does. So in, uh, again, beauty on you come on here, man, and you, I really appreciate it because you you you're expanding my thinking. You're you're changing my perspective on. And I'm not charging you. <laughs> um, so I have a question for you though, right? Which is the ideal inflation rate that is advertised in um, in the West, right? And and they and I love the way that they described inflation as if uh, as if it's some this natural phenomenon. And even with the ideal inflation rate of, of 2%, I even saw Donald Trump saying, well, you know, in his like speech, he's like, I had it at 1%, but 1% is still 1% theft, right? So their argument would be if there wasn't inflation um, in the currency, people would not be incentivized to spend. Um, exactly right. well, that's, that's, well, that's, the, that's the argument of Keynesianism. And <clears throat> we could argue, as Ron Paul has been arguing, and the Austrians, uh, Bob Murphy and uh, Lou Rockwell, one of those people, they've been arguing till they're blue in the face that Keynesianism is fundamentally wrong and Austrianism is actually correct. So now with Bitcoin, we don't have to argue about this anymore. All we have to do is deploy it into the economy and watch Austrianism be proven to be true. That's what Bitcoin is actually for uh, when it comes to the economic uh, the theory part of it. So that's all that has to be done. We can now prove that Austrianism is correct simply by releasing wallets into the world to billions of people. 
And once that happens and people prefer sound money to unsound money, which is fiat, then the case for Austrianism will be made true. And this is not something that uh, we need to ask permission to run the experiment on. It's just going to be run. That's all there is to it. And it's going to be run because it's the, the Bitcoin itself is super efficient, super convenient. And I've just come back from uh, El Salvador. I had a, a fantastic time down there. It's the most amazing country. And I bought a bottle of water at a gas station with Wallet Satoshi playing with Bitcoin. It was the most incredible thing. And the people behind the counter say, yeah, Bitcoin, no problem. Because down there, it's normal. So if you want to see what the future is going to look like where the world is running on Bitcoin, get yourself to San Salvador and spend a weekend there, a couple of days there. You will be absolutely shocked. Everybody is using Bitcoin. It's just absolutely incredible. Now, of course, they haven't reached full saturation there. It's taking time to do that. But in, in San Salvador, you can use Bitcoin literally everywhere. So this is what has to happen to stop the lie of uh, the inflation of the money supply being necessary to have uh, an, 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 an economy where things are flowing. Economies, strong economies are based on savings, not on money flowing around. And so the fundamental idea behind fiat has been broken and it has not been able to be challenged because there's nothing like Bitcoin um, to force it to be challenged. You can make the argument to the state that the money supply should be constrained, but they need the money supply to expand so they can steal the spending power from all the people who use the dollar. They're not going to just turn that off because somebody from the Austrian School of Economics said this is a bad idea. They need this money, the cronies need this money, and they're not gonna turn it off. So some very clever person sat down at a computer terminal and wrote Bitcoin and released it for nothing. And now it's spread all over the world and Austrianism is going to be proved through this single piece of software. Who loses in that situation? In Nobody, situation loses. Nobody loses. Everybody wins. People who think... I'm going to calm down. People who think that... No, Leon, go. Don't calm down. <laughs> Hit it hard. Hit it hard. And, uh, <laughs> that's, I'm going to get myself in trouble. So the, um, the people who think that fiat money is necessary... Uh, some of them might actually believe that, but it's not true. Everybody will win when Bitcoin is the only money. When the world has returned to sound money, people will be incentivized to save and not spend. All investment will come from saving, not from borrowing. And if you want to learn about how all the Austrian School of Economics works, you need to read Murray Rothbard and those kinds of uh, economists to find out how it actually works. So even it, it's like uh, the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, what's it called? The one where he's on Mars and uh, oh, they, they're frightened. You know yes. what I'm talking about. They made a, they made a remake also. Um, yeah, the oh, remake yeah. wasn't very good, but uh, it's about the one I can't remember. Um, this one with Carlo, the, the monster that comes out of the chest. In any case, uh, they were frightened of turning on the Turbindian machine. Total recall. Total recall. 
frightened of turning on a turbillion machine because they, they, they were frightened that the planet will melt. And actually, the turbillion machine will make Mars habitable. And Bitcoin is exactly the same thing. There are people like uh, Cohagen who runs the government of Mars and who doesn't care about anybody there. So turn the air off. I couldn't care less. Let them die. These people are the people behind fiat. And the people who are behind Bitcoin want to turn the turbillion machine on release the atmosphere that's frozen under the ice so that Mars can be habitable, then all you've got to do is put your hand on it and then the thing will be turned on. And so the end of that movie is the situation that we're in now where people are frightened about Bitcoin. They shouldn't be frightened about it. Will it cause a very dramatic, uh, you know, blue sky cloud that's come out of the ground? Yes, it'll be very dramatic, but it will happen over many years it will be a controlled decline from uh, the, the fiat world to the Bitcoin world. And it'll be a managed decline from uh, a bad system to good system where the, the, the world will be weaned off the teat of fiat and on to the teat of Bitcoin, which will won't uh, rot the teeth, make you <laughs> overweight and give you diabetes and everything else. It'll be very, very, very good for the entire world economy. So, and, and I, and I fundamentally agree with that. I, I agree, but you did mention that like a drug, like a drug addict, you know, that cold Turkey weaning off that fake monopoly money, right. That has no cost to create. Right. Um, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow for some people, isn't it? Well, you know, uh, tough medicine is, medicine. And at the end, it will be good for everybody. And it, once again, the analogy of the lake ice delivery people who ran, who were put out of business was a small price to pay for everybody having a refrigerator in their home. Right now, the people who are making money off the fiat system is a, a, a vanishingly small percentage of the number of people on earth. And anybody who's worrying about them over the 7 billion people on earth needs to look very carefully at their priorities and what they feel is important. So if the price of everybody going to sound money, where everybody saves money instead of spending it, and many of the other problems that come to do with the consumer society are abolished, anybody who thinks that uh, the small cabal of people who are running the fiat system are more important than everybody else on earth, I think you need to reassess your ideas of right and wrong. And that's another thing that brings me to another thing about what Bitcoin is going to do. When it abolishes the consumer society, the amount of waste that is produced in every economy will be vastly, greatly diminished. So Bitcoin solves many problems all at once, not only just for the convenience, the introduction of sound money and all those other things, but the side effects on everybody in the in the economy, in the world economy, will be hugely beneficial from the environment and all places that we can't even begin to imagine. And none of them is the billions of people who can't uh, participate in e-commerce because they have no access to financial rails. That's another great uh, source of uh, economic expansion that nobody's considering when they talk about Bitcoin. And this is all doable all through mobile phones. 
And of course, there's this new Machankura 8333 service, which allows people who don't have smartphones to use Bitcoin, meaning that the 500 million people who are not on smartphones will all have access to Bitcoin and to e-commerce. This is a big deal. It's a good deal for everybody. And there is no good argument against it. Amen to that. Beauty on. So I want to use the last, uh, you know, 10, 10, 15 minutes that we have left. And I want to talk about, and it's something that I brought up to Eric Kassan, who had on earlier on in the week. Um, there are certain political ideologies and just political parties that are based on effective wealth redistribution mechanisms not only through effective taxation, right, um, but also the most insidious tax, which is the hidden tax, which is inflation. Um, I, I do not think that those political ideologies, specifically collectivist ideologies, are even viable in, a, in a, under a world with a Bitcoin standard. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, that's exactly right. Socialism will be abolished by Bitcoin. And uh, the socialists will cry and whine about it, but uh, like uh, uh, Varoufakis and all these people, they're actually they're actually rich themselves. They preach one thing and practice another, and you'll find this is true uh, all over the world where you find socialists. They have three or four houses, three or four cars, send their children to private school and not to the government school, and all this kind of business. So when Bitcoin uh, comes into the market. It's going to appeal to these people the same way it appeals to everybody else. They will go out of their way to accumulate Bitcoin. And when Bitcoin is the only money, they will adjust their narratives so that Bitcoin isn't a threat to them collecting money and becoming rich because they all want to be rich. None of them want to be poor. So I'm not too worried about these ideologies. Um, Bitcoin will come in and discipline them just like it will discipline everybody else. And that's one of its superpowers. And it won't, be, it, it won't be possible for these people to steal money from other people or even to propose stealing money from other people because everybody will know it is not possible to tax people more than 100%, which is what they're doing in the fiat system. And so they're all going to have to dial down their ambitions for all of the crazy things that they want to do. And we're going to get back to a more normal society where the money can't come out of nowhere, where one plus one actually equals two, whether you're talking about money or not. And this is the key uh, side effect of Bitcoin, where normality will be returned to the economy and to society as well. So what, and speaking of socialism, I, I, I try to be as, even though I... I, I I try to be as politically neutral <laughs> as possible on this show. If that's Neutrality at all possible. in the face of evil is evil. Uh, <laughs> stealing is wrong. Socialism is evil. And you should not be neutral about things that are evil. That's just a fact. So it's not something to boast about. I'm neutral when it comes to socialism. No, you shouldn't be. It's, it is evil. I, 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 the way that I see it, Beauty On, and I get this from Hayek, you know, Road to Serfdom, is I, I kind of frame it in the way of individualism versus collectivism, right? And socialism, communism, fascism, all those ideologies, they, they fall under collectivism and they, they require coercion. And I think that anything that really requires coercion and it's not a voluntary exchange, 
is by definition evil. Um, so that's what I believe there. Um, unless, you know, of, of course, unless violence is justified, right? In very specific circumstances, you know, perhaps you could say self-defense, right? Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, so let's talk about, but you brought it up. Uh, let's talk about, let's go back to uh, the socialism thing, right? Um, and this was Mark Moss that brought this to the attention. Him and uh, Svetsky wrote the book, right? The Uncommunist Manifesto. And it said it that the fifth tenet of Karl Marx's uh, Communist Manifesto required central banking, right? So c- could you make the argument today that the United States is a centrally planned economy? It's, it's, it, you, could, you could make an argument that, that the United States is socialist in a way. Uh, there is no such thing as too big to fail in capitalism. That is a that is a uh, that is a I, I don't know how to put it kindly. Well, it, it, the, the, it, the word capitalism is something that's also uh, overused. Um, in capitalism, uh, there is no, there are no bailouts. Bailouts are not possible. And in a world where Bitcoin is the only money. Uh, bailout, bailouts are also not possible. So it's it's important to use these words uh, correctly, these definitions correctly. And one of the things that Bitcoin is going to do is bring a discipline to uh, government where they won't be able to just declare something's too big to fail, and they will uh, allow, and the, the the economy will be allowed to reset assets to be bought up, liquidated, and redistributed efficiently, because there isn't any. Uh, central entity printing money to prop up losing propositions. And Ron Paul has spoken about this, about the uh, first Great Dep- Depression, where there was no um, no bailing out, and the market uh, inefficiencies and bankruptcies were cleansed out, and the whole thing lasted apparently just over a year, whereas the, the second Great Depression, because the government was there to prop up failing businesses, it lasted much longer. So there will be business failures uh, in the Bitcoin world, there will be big business failures also, but there will be no government there to steal money to prop up these industries that are uh, deemed strategic by some arbitrary little group of people. So we're going to have a much more efficient cleanup mechanism for those businesses that go uh, belly up. So let's talk about a little bit about, you know, human nature and the reason that I believe a lot of these collectivist politicians and political parties have been so successful. Right. And a lot of the reasons why I believe the bailouts were um, politically viable. Right. And that's just because people are willing to avoid the pain for whatever it taught for whatever it takes. And they turn to big daddy government in order to say, hey, you know, rescue us or whatever, without really thinking about the long-term consequences. Do you well, think they, that they, these, these politicians don't have to think about the long-term uh, consequences because somebody else is going to clean up the mess or be burdened with the mess, and they'll say, no, it was the last people who did it. But what Bitcoin will do will make it impossible for people to uh, bail out businesses or anybody else because they want to. Look, there are going to be people who... Uh, want to extend human life for 500 years and said, we want to do this. Well, the, the scientists say, well, it's not actually pro- possible. There are even another bunch of people who say, well, we want to have a, I don't know what, a colony on the, bo- on the, on the you know, the, 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 the bottom of the Mariana Trench. 
No, it's not possible because it's too deep there. And so what will happen with Bitcoin is that the discipline of science, the discipline of math will be put over everybody in government. And they'll say, we want to do this. We want to build this new bridge to nowhere. And then the, you know, the people who are in charge of the money say, well, there's no money for that. There hasn't been money for that for 50 years since Bitcoin became the only money. So uh, you can try and ask people to build this bridge to nowhere. But once they find out that the, the, the plan, see the architect's plan for this big bridge to nowhere, nobody's going to pay for it. And you can't steal that money either because that era is also all over. So these politicians will be put in their place. They will be constrained to keeping the roads clean, keeping the roads free of litter. And that's about it. They'll only be able to do what people consent to be, be to be done because they won't be able to print money out of nowhere. There'll be no federal uh, government with the ability to print money where the states can go and ask for a stipend or a grant or whatever they want to call it of money that just was conjured out of nowhere. It's all going to end. It's all going to be reformed. It's all going to be reasonable and logical and mathematical, ruthlessly mathematical. And there won't be any uh, chamber that people can go in to vote to increase the amount of Bitcoin that's in circulation. That's not possible because the computers won't allow it. And so that's <laughs> going to be in the end of that. And if they try and do these CB, uh, CDBCs where they can control the supply of money, uh, nobody's going to use that money because it's not sound money on top of the, of the top that it's not in, interoperable or easy to get a hold of and easy to use. So everything's tilted against these people even though they don't know it yet, and there's no way they can win. So one last one last question, and I think this is a really important question to address, um, especially that, taking advantage that you're here. Um, Corey Clipston and myself, we I, and I've noticed this very, very quickly, right, is that a lot of the shitcoin projects, I'm going to name one specifically, Ethereum, is kind of getting in bed with the state, right? Um, and I believe that they're trying to build themselves a moat, right? And the state, you know, kind of sees it in a way of we can continue the uh, the the inflationary party, right? The debasement party, right? So it's just kind of like this match made in hell. Um, what what would you say to that? What would you say to the people that are saying, look? Ethereum outcompetes Bitcoin sometimes. Ethereum does this. Ethereum has this types of functionality. Why Bitcoin and why not shitcoin specifically? Why not Ethereum, Beautyon? Well, uh, Ethereum, as we've all seen with this switch to proof of stake, is not a stable platform. There is somebody in control of Ethereum and it can be changed at will. And so if you want to build a, uh, a sound economy on a stable platform, Ethereum is not the thing to do it on. And also, nobody talks about this, but the supply of Ethereum is set to increase forever. It's not sound money in any way. It's some kind of pseudo computing platform that because they have um, uh, UFO pony uh, t-shirt wearing leader, and all the rest of it, and funny dances and stuff that, that people seem to like it. Uh, the future when it comes to Ethereum is going to be very, very interesting. And it's going to be a, a battle um, that Bitcoiners are going to have to fight 
to make sure that the world doesn't get consumed by uh, Ethereum, which, you know, it, it is possible. Uh, they need to, the Bitcoiners need to start thinking commercially. They start, they need to start uh, thinking about user experience and all those other things and don't expect people to come to them on the terms of Bitcoiners. They've got to come on their own terms and you've got to go to them, go to the places where they are. And I think people like Wallet Satoshi are doing that and Moon very, very well. Moon has a single balance in that wallet where it doesn't matter if you receive Lightning or an on-chain uh, transaction, it contributes to a single balance. Nobody, no normal person is going to accept that there's two different kinds of Bitcoin. And I say two different kinds in double quotes. They're going to need this business to be abstracted away to something that anybody can understand without having to read a book. And if uh, the people behind Bitcoin companies are not willing to do that, they're not willing to deal with normal persons on their terms, then there's going to be a problem. And the, the least problem is that the spread of Bitcoin is slowed down. The worst problem is that something else, something that's evil, is going to win. And, you know, we mustn't assume that Bitcoin has a free and clear path to the future. There's many forces gathering steam against it. They're using things like Ethereum and those other things to uh, distract people and dissuade them from uh, using Bitcoin. And I saw the most astonishing thing today that I tweeted. Somebody is selling uh, quote unquote crypto, which is a word I never use, you should never use that word. But they, they said essentially this, that if you buy this crypto rather than that, you'll get more crypto. Now, that's completely absurd. If it's, and you know why it's absurd. Not to explain it to you, insult you by explaining that to you. But this is the language that people are using when they're selling to the public. And if Bitcoiners don't counter this at the point, at the coal face of the market, then there's going to be a problem. And that means user education. And I don't mean education about the gears of how Bitcoin works. I'm talking about education at the level of feelings. The same way that Apple communicates everything by feelings and not by uh, describing the gears. Apple did a very, very good job of describing why privacy is important and putting this into its billboard ads. It was a beautiful campaign. I'm sure it cost a lot of money. But that's the kind of thinking that needs to be done in Bitcoin. And hopefully we'll be able to do something like this with Azteco. Uh, we're uh, trying to close out our Series A and we're going to do stuff like this. And we're going to approach this problem the same way that Apple does. And that's the way it needs to be done. We need to get consumers onto Bitcoin in the simplest, fastest possible way so that the market can be flooded by Bitcoiners, newly minted Bitcoiners, so that the other bad things are squeezed out and don't have a chance to pollute, contaminate, and uh, destroy what Bitcoin has to offer. Amen to that. It is, it is pure hand-to-hand -hand combat in the open battlefield, free market, let the best uh, let, let the best man win, and you I, I must really have do. you must have good kung fu in order to. <laughs> Amen. Um, so, 
Yeah. And uh, but I am bullish on Bitcoiners. I think Bitcoiners are all, you know, uh, they're waking up to this to this reality. We're all, you know, fighting on our own like front, you know, uh, with you, with us, Teco, me, the more the propaganda media arm. But uh, we, we're all fighting a good fight. And uh, it's 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 uh, it's an honor to be in the trenches with you, Beauty On, and really appreciate you coming on uh, on uh, Simply Bitcoin IRL today. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you online and uh, what you're working on these days? Well, they can find me on Twitter mostly on my Beauty On account. Uh, where I try and behave myself, but normally fail. And I'm working on this thing here, azte.co, which is uh, growing very, very fast. And uh, we have, uh, we're in the new stage of our development, which is in um, market activation, we're calling it. And so we have uh, outlets all over the world where the easiest way to get Bitcoin. We are a consumer Bitcoin uh, service. We created the category consumer Bitcoin. And we're trying to make it, and succeeding by the way, make it as easy as possible to get a hold of small amounts of Bitcoin. Billions of people all over the world don't have uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on Bitcoin. They have small amounts comparatively to use Bitcoin with small amounts of fiat. And they have the same needs as everybody else to go into a, a garage and buy a bottle of water. What we want them to do is to buy it with Bitcoin and not with fiat. And when they want to send money from A to B across the world, they don't, we don't want them to go to Western Union or Rio, all these places. We want them to do it with Bitcoin. And so in order for that to happen, it's got to be trivially easy to get Bitcoin. And that's what we're doing. And we're doing it very well, very successfully. We're growing strongly and it's going to get better and better. And uh, essentially, that's it. Well, I'm bullish on it. I'm very excited to see what you guys you know, do at Azteco. Big fan. I've been following that project for quite a while. I recently found out, not before you told me, uh, but I did find out. Uh, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to dox who he is, but um, I had you on the show and um, had you on the show. And you know, I, I, I saw the Azteco background and I brought it up to someone's like, oh, I had beauty on. And he's like, he's the founder of Azteco. And I'm like, no way. And I, I didn't make that connection. <laughs> um, so that was really interesting. Anyways, man, thank you so much for joining us today on Simply Bitcoin IRL. We really appreciate it. Guys, we'll be back. Enjoy your, your holiday weekend. We will be back on Monday at 12.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Consider like, subscribing, all that good stuff. We'll see you later. And love you all. Everyone have a good weekend. Thanks a lot, Yiko. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.